This is Integrating Technology, episode 46. Integrating Technology for a living. Integrating Technology for fun. Integrating Technology to help people get you done. Welcome to Integrating Technology, episode 46. Today, we speak with Stephen Fantakach, CIO at PlaceOS. And PlaceOS, I think, is a really interesting company, not because they develop their own control system, but because of what they do with it. So they started out in AV, and Stephen tells me about their journey of how they became a workplace experience company. And if you think about it, this is, for me at least, the dream of what AV programming can evolve into. Why should we stick just to AV. We can actually automate and control anything with an API. And what that means is, is a complete experience. Steven talks about streamlining a person's day from when they arrive at a building to when they leave. So it's not about the automation and control or the platform itself. Of course, those things are important. They need to be stable and secure and work well. But what do you do with a platform like that? And this idea of workplace experience is really fascinating. And he even tells us about applications like gamification so that an organization can drive user behavior by rewarding them for doing certain things like booking a room in off-peak hours. Then they get free coffee and stuff like that. Apologies for my audio. I had the wrong microphone selected. So when I'm speaking, it doesn't sound that great. But lucky for us, Stephen did most of the talking here. And he had a lot of cool things to say. Enjoy the interview. And as always, a word from our sponsor. And feel free to skip forward a few clicks to get right to the interview. Okay, hush button. Do you know what the most used function is during a video conference? It is muting the microphone. And a typical conference room may have a touch panel at one end of the table, but that doesn't do the rest of the meeting participants any good. And that's where the idea of the hush button was born. Why not give everybody at the table a way to reach out and mute their microphone and be able to see very clearly at a glance which microphones are on and which are off. It's a simple lighted switch that gets built into the table. It's designed to accept a table microphone or also known as a boundary microphone. It could also be used with ceiling microphones and because it has a open API, it can actually be programmed to do just about anything. You could select a laptop with it, turn a system on and off, or click five times fast and call a taxi if that's what's required. So if you have an AV project coming up and you want to give each user at the table, the simplest control interface on the market. Please go to catchtechnologies.com and have a look at Hushbutton. Steven, welcome to the podcast. Good day, Patrick. Thanks for having me. So if you could give me maybe a one or two minute background about Place OS, then we could use that to kind of launch the conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Place OS is an integration hosting platform. It's designed to take any device or service and make its data and functions available via a common API, uh, which we call a driver. Um, and so drivers can also optionally implement common interfaces. So like for like devices can be swapped out without changing any logic, such as a Samsung display for a Sony display or MS Graph API for Google API. 
Um, the platform then allows you to group those drivers into what we call systems. And systems are where you define any custom logic that interacts with those devices. So technically, PlaceOS runs in a similar way to how, say, AWS Lambda runs functions, uh, distributing the work through a scalable cluster of compute resources. Very cool. Um, that sounds pretty mind-blowing <laughs> as far as if you're coming from a typical AV integration backgrounds, talking about a serverless type of approach and scalability is something we're really not all that familiar with. I like the way, so first I'm just going to uh, say back to you a few things that you said, integration hosting platform. Uh, that sounds like an interesting way to describe what you're doing. And then you got into the architecture. So there's drivers, there's an API, there's drivers, and then you have this concept of systems. Yeah. Um, so we're sort of going for that, like similar to how you identify an AV system. Like it's a room, it has a few things in it, and then you've got logic that's controlling those things. So that was sort of the conceptual uh, methodology, I guess. Interesting. So this is something, it sounds familiar because for many, many years, right, like the holy grail is to kind of get rid of the programmer because all that custom work is, is a lot of overhead. So you always see these room builder type of solutions and, you know, for, I guess, the simplest systems, there was some success there. But as a programmer who's involved with those complex systems, they're always reached this point at the end where we said, you know what, this kind of a builder isn't going to work for us because there's just too much custom stuff that we're trying to bolt onto it. Do you have any thoughts on, on balancing custom versus you know, the model that an API, and not yours in particular, just any kind of a model, once it's fixed, uh, it kind of limits what you could do. Or maybe not, maybe you have different thoughts on that. Um, so we actually, like, that's one of the key things that we sort of focused on. So, uh, I mean, we like limits because limits allow you your creativity mm -hmm. to blossom. But um, cool. if you look at... Uh, the way we approach it is that drivers are specific for a device and they just implement that protocol and, and expose data that's relevant. But then you have your custom logic and the custom logic, so drivers can exist in multiple systems, but logic can only exist in a system. So it's limited to the devices in that mm -hmm. system and you can do whatever you want. So it's like open slather programming, Basically, if you can imagine it, you can do it. And what does that programming look like? Uh, so we've moved to a, a very young language called Crystal Lang. So it's a bit like Ruby, uh, same, similar sort of syntax, but it's compiled and type-checked. So very few errors. I mean, you might have had experience using Python or something like that. Um, whereas Crystal Lang gets rid of most sort of runtime errors unless it's divided by zero or you know similar things interesting haven't heard of that one yet i'll have to have a a look at it so i love talking about technology but we don't get to have fun with the tech unless we have a healthy business so 
Can you talk about any of the challenges or you know how you approach bringing this to market? Is there a particular type of organization Place OS works best with? Can you just give me a little bit of that, what that journey's been like? Yeah, so our bread and butter sort of came out of workplace experiences. Like we did start in the AV space, um, but because we can integrate with anything, um, you end up with being able to bring in these greater experiences from when someone enters the building all the way to when they leave. Um, so when you work in a large multi-floor office, it, it's hard to find colleagues, hard to find a free desk, at, at least pre-COVID. <laughs> now it's all desk booking systems and capacity management. Uh, so what our platform enables is streamlining of your day. Like, where do you park your car? Are there any packages at the front desk? Uh, where's a free locker? Where should I sit? I, I need a collaboration space. Where is my next meeting? Want us to dial into that VC for you? Uh, let's dim the lights and get going. And then you can have a similar experience for guests coming to the office. Like, are you expecting someone to be at a meeting in person? Uh, do you automate sending them a link to pre-order coffee? Do you want them to self-check in? grant them access to the building by generating QR codes or giving them a swipe card to get through the security systems and then notify the host once they're in and track them on Wi-Fi. And that all generates data. So you can look at utilization, contact tracing, which is something we've been working on recently. And then you could even do things like gamifying the office, uh, like a free coffee if you book your desk on Mondays, for example. Basically, once you've integrated into every system, the experiences are often only limited by your imagination, really. Really fascinating. So this was, has kind of been the promise. I, I remember, I don't know, it, it was probably 10 years ago at this point, I went to a conference and the messaging was that building integration is a thing that's going to happen where every system in a building is going to be integrated in a way that you know, creates the experiences you're describing for the end user. And the AV industry are the best people to do it because we're the generalists, we're familiar with making user interfaces and interfacing with real world systems. I haven't seen it happen. There's been a lot of resistance in my experience for AV integrators to take that step. So what I'm curious about is why there's, there's been that lag. Um, what gave your company the, the, the courage or skill set or whatever it was it took to make that jump from AV into what, what you're doing? Is there a name for this complete building integration? I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess one of the industry terms is like digital twin. Um, I mean, it's, it's not exactly what we're doing, I guess. We're building digital twins of services and devices in the building. But we're not like trying to 3D model it because that, that's, you know, that's where it becomes difficult. And you've got to have end-to-end -end procurement from start of the building design all the way through to the actual fit-out. Um, but yeah, I guess digital twin is probably the closest term. Interesting. So it's almost like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with AMX programming, but you, you would have a virtual device. So there's this device that lives in software that's always online, it's always there, and it kind of 
replicates a real world device. And when the real world device comes online, they could kind of sync up, up with each other. Is that? Yeah, exactly. So I actually started out my AV experience was AMX University. So you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Now, integrating all these different systems for an end user, it sounds great. It sounds futuristic, but because it's so on the cutting edge of technology and there's all of these different companies, all these different trades that need to be integrated with each other, it sounds like there's a lot of risk in a project like this. Have, have you encountered any resistance from, from stakeholders about that? Um, we've actually not encountered that much resistance from stakeholders. Uh, often we're selling to the CEO or the CTO and they're directing downwards. Um, but it, I guess there is, I mean, there's definitely risk and uh, we try to stage our rollouts in terms of the integrations. I mean, it all depends whether it's an existing office with people in it or it's a new fit out of a building or, or a new building. Um, so there's a lot of ways to mitigate risk, like, you know, day one, this is the functionality and day, you know, 30, this is the functionality of an open office. Um, and there's always the teething problems when you first open an office. Um, but I guess the way we're trying to solve that is through uh, partnering with IT companies. And so, I mean, an example is probably Cisco's our biggest partner. Um, and we're working with them to do like edge, edge processing, but really it's sort of to, to get around the fact that networks often have to be super secure and not connect to the internet. Um, so we can actually deploy our software. It still runs in the cloud, but there's an edge node that can run on say Cisco switches and then connect to the BMS. Um, so I guess most resistance is probably around security and like GDPR. Uh, like data ownership and things like that. Um, and we try to get around them by, say, like whilst we deploy the software as like a SaaS solution, the, the platform itself, but we're deploying it onto their controlled infrastructure. So whether that's their private cloud or their like data, private data center, um, we try to make sure that they're in ownership of the data just to avoid those issues. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Sounds sounds like a, a completely different workflow flow than than what a an AV conference room would would normally look like. Yeah, I mean AV conference rooms are changing as well, so they're yeah. becoming more like the sort of Microsoft Teams conference rooms. Like there still is the big I don't know SX eighty or you know whatever multi camera uh, conference rooms, but I feel like they're becoming less common and more more of this like home automation stuff is 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 finding its way into offices so you're getting like standard webcams on top of on top of screens now and the experience is sort of automating that screen turning on and and switching to the right source when someone plugs in their laptop trying to get rid of the touch panel almost and just automate yeah. as much as possible do, do you think soft codecs have kind of catalyzed that a little bit that it kind of increased user expectations because I have Zoom or Teams or whatever it is on my laptop, on my phone, 
I'm working from home. Why, you know, video conferencing had a horrible reputation in the workplace for, for the longest time. Um, it's gotten better, of course, but now with soft codecs, the experience is a lot more fluid. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like the hardware is now just being sort of piped into those soft codecs. Um, like if your codec doesn't integrate with Microsoft Teams or um, Google Hangouts or whatever, um, then there's less use for it really in the office. And mm. especially with COVID and everyone working from home, connecting their uh, laptops and just you can use a browser for almost everything now. Yeah, the browser is an amazing piece of technology that uh, I think is quite underrated. People don't realize everything it's capable of. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like, so all our interfaces, we try and be web first. So everything is delivered via the browser. It sounds a bit to me like, okay, the workplace is changing. The technology is changing. Expectations are completely different. Um, is this kind of a pivot for your company to, to remain relevant and grow into different technologies? And is it something you'd recommend to a, a typical AV professional? Or is there an opportunity for, for reselling this type of a solution? Can you get a bit into that? Because we're all dealing with this. You know, We used to just get a bid spec, make some drawings, install it, program it, and be done. And that's not really how the world works anymore. Yeah, so we're actually trying to be a software solution provider. Um, so to have companies program it and, and sell it on their own. Um, I mean, one of the key features, I think, is that we open sourced everything. So you as a, a third party provider can go in and fiddle with everything um you have complete access to the to the whole software platform um and i think that's really powerful in terms of uh i mean i guess just education but also i feel like sometimes you get hamstrung because something doesn't work and you just need it to work and it has to work tomorrow and if you can't access any of the internals of the system you can't fix it yourself and you're reliant on on the vendor um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the changes that we've been seeing is this shift to an IT focused workplace. Um, so clients are looking for that holistic solution. Like if you have 30 different apps on your phone, it doesn't work. No one engages. Um, so if you have a single like workplace app, it really drives usage and then discovery of, of what the workplace is capable of. Interesting. So I want to circle back to open source, but you just said something that really caught my attention. And that's this single workplace app. Has there been any, um, have you been surprised by different departments or different applications? Uh, maybe, maybe a human resources department got excited about a certain thing and used it in a clever way. Have there been any surprises about the actual usage um yeah so i guess there's we've done some things with like uh, what they've called a workplace wallet so i guess that that, that was the gamification i, I mentioned earlier uh, which i thought mm. was really interesting so encouraging people to come into the office on the days where the office is underutilized by giving them free coffee or, or points to use at retail stores and things like that um like trying to 
trying to drive engagement with the systems in the building uh, by offering an incentive. But a lot of it just comes down to like what you can do with location services. So where you, when you know where someone is and like modern video conference systems can often count the people in the room. Um, so you can take all this sensor data and then automate, like, you know, turn on the screen and uh, push an alert to the phone. Do you want to start the meeting now or start automatically, which we've had uh, another class? Because you know everybody is there who's supposed to be there. Yeah, we haven't actually gone down to, to the level of face recognition, but... But you know the number of people that should be there are there, so you can do something based on that. Yeah, exactly. So thresholds and things like that. Um, so tell me a bit about open source. How That's obviously a business decision. Um, from a tech standpoint, it's great. You, you get community going. Um, you could always say to your customer, look, you know, you're not beholden to us in any way. You could take this and do whatever you want with it. How has it affected your business, if at all? Uh, I mean, so at first it was about transparency. So a point of differentiation. And it gives people, like when we were a smaller business, it gave companies confidence that everything would continue working potentially. But then it's, it's more about the wider community, really. So because we're implementing all these weird protocols like BACnet, KNX, um, yeah. CoAP, I don't know, you, you name it, there's a weird protocol out there that no one's written in, that, in your language or the library sucks or whatever. Um, so you write these libraries and people start using them and then they're improving the libraries for you. So it's, it's uh, I mean, it's just nice to give back to the community really because, but also you get a bit of benefit from it. Sure. And this, uh, this fear of somebody taking your solution and rebranding it and, and putting you out of business completely unfounded or... Think so. You'd probably have to, like, you'd probably have to live in a country that didn't really have a rule of law, and then you'd also probably have to be trained in the system. I, yeah, it's just quite unlikely. Yeah, but it's one of those things where there's usually resistance. Uh, I, I want to protect my code, and I often believe that you know I think it's mostly unfounded because people want to do things themselves anyway. And they're going to do it different, even if it is the same exact code base, the implementation will wind up being different anyway. And a lot of the things that um, make a business relationship have nothing to do with the technology. Yeah, 100%. Can, can you tell me more about um, the, some interesting applications? Because it sounds like the, the technology owner, so they're probably going to have somebody on staff, an IT department, whatever it is, maybe their own AV department. It sounds like they have a lot of freedom um, and perhaps safety in changing the system while it's running, right? There's this building technology that I really don't want to mess with because I might break something, but maybe I do want to have some incentives or do this gamification that you're talking about. Can, can you talk about like how much control you're exposing to that end, not really end user, but you know, whoever's responsible for interacting with the system? Yeah, I mean, we're trying to expose as much control as possible. Um, so the whole system is designed so that you can live update drivers and things. So say you have a new device and it's not 
switching input properly or you know there's some other issue and you code up a fix um you can literally deploy that in the middle of the day while everyone's using the systems without them noticing that you've applied a fix and you can also you know have a test room and test that new code out for deploying it uh company-wide or whatever um but it's all live updated it we tried to make introspection like a big part of the system so you can inspect the raw comms between any device um so if there's something going wrong you can see oh it didn't like that command i guess i've got to fix my code here or you know that kind of thing and then you know that all goes down to analytics so you want to do you want to have dashboards that show you i don't know whatever the department's interested so the av department might be interested in when displays are offline um and they can filter for that but the it department might be interested when a wap's not functioning properly or a switch is down and they can filter for that mm. um so it's just about providing the views and the tools to allow people to do their jobs more simply i guess i i think we're probably somewhat comparable to uh, meraki I, I don't know if anyone's had a play around with that where it's a full cloud solution for like programming switches and waps where you just right click on like an icon of a switch port and be like i want this to be vlan 42 and it's instantly vlan 42 and you don't have to like ssh into a switch and and type commands to change it <laughs> um so it's that kind of intuitive um level of control but it lets you as a programmer just go wild as well as the av department have a nice view of everything and be able to debug to quite an advanced degree yeah interesting so that puts in my mind this idea of different layers of users like in the past it was the end user and that was it and and now you have the people installing it who um may be highly skilled and be able to do complex things and then you have the end user um, who's actually using the system and in the middle you could have other people who need to interact with the system but maybe have some level of skill but not that much and they also have a user experience so every step of the way there's different people interacting with the system that um that have different needs and uh, i think that's that's an interesting direction that things are developing in. I mean, it, even just the way the interfaces are, are, are provided to end users. So we try to make it, if you've booked a room, then you can control the room during your booking. Integrating with things like the calendar technology so you can, say, cancel the room if no one rocks up or no one turns anything on um, using the sensors in the room. Uh, you know, People can check in. If it's a client floor, that might trigger notifying the um, concierge or the catering staff. Um, so there's all these like little experiences that that businesses want to expose their clients and their staff to mm. that uh, becomes a lot easier once that integration is there. Very nice. Sounds like uh, technology is actually being used to improve people's lives and experiences. And uh I think that should be the goal for any system. Do you have any final thoughts? The only thing that ever that ever annoys me really in, in with system integrations is is NDAs. 
Like I really, especially with an open source platform, as soon as you're under an NDA, you have to, you know, hide all this like good information that mm-hmm. would make people buy the system that you're under the NDA more often. Um, so I find they're just a big hindrance in terms of uh, selling a bit of a solution. And you encounter that with driver development, I imagine? Yeah, people are scared to share their API, yeah. which makes no sense to me. Like I understand NDA for business purposes, but when it comes to, say, your API spec for controlling a device, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, Especially when it's an unintelligible string of hex code. Well, I mean, yeah, that's one reason to NDA your API because you, you're ashamed of it. <laughs> but, uh, but often they're perfectly fine and you're just like, well, this is annoying. I, I would recommend this company more often, but I can't tell anyone that we've got an API for it or a driver for it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, and there's even there's still manufacturers out there where you're not allowed to write a driver. They have to write the driver themselves, which I guess they're trying to protect the user experience. But, you know, there is this channel of highly skilled professionals that do exactly that for a living. So I, I, that's another part of that I don't understand. So we still got a way to go as an industry as far as working together on the technology level. I, th- I think it's getting a lot better there. I mean, from between. I don't know, say 10 years ago, none of this would be possible. And just the, the rate of change, I mean, especially here in Australia, um, the adoption of IP technologies has just exploded. And that's sort of happening around the world now. So we're seeing a lot of growth in the, in the US and, and in Europe and the Middle East. And it'll be interesting with, there's a bunch of new platforms I think it's called Connected Home IP, which is like Google, uh, Zigbee, Apple, and Amazon all got together, and they're merging their IoT platforms. So there'll be a single common uh, data layer, effectively, allowing interoperability. So I think there'll be a lot more of those sort of residential devices appearing in the workplace. And that's a highly secure network. So it's encouraging to hear that um, these <laughs> the largest companies in the world, these these people who know tech, are starting to focus on on a common protocol where devices can just exchange information. Yeah, it's very exciting. So, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you can take a look at our website, which is place.technology um, or placeos.com. Uh, I'm also on GitHub at S Takach, um, or you can contact me directly, which is just Steve at placeos.com. Excellent. Steven, thanks for being on the podcast. Awesome. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Integrating Technology. If you have a moment, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. It really does help other aging professionals find us in the podcast world. HTML5. The web browser is finally getting some attention in the AV systems integration market. And 
I say finally because I believe that the web browser is the most underutilized, undervalued, underappreciated technology of the past few decades. When you think of a browser, you think of going to websites, but actually the web browser is a platform to run all different kinds of programs, including AV control, and you don't need an internet connection. I'm in the middle of putting together some material to explain exactly how an AV user interface with HTML5 would work and to clear up some misconceptions about how to do it. And it's not easy. Learning a new programming language always has a learning curve, but using HTML5 in AV projects, there's a reason why we haven't been doing it all along. It's hard to do. But if you're up for a challenge or if you're just curious about how it works so you could speak more intelligently about it, Go to learnavprogramming.com slash HTML5 and get yourself informed.